It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a little bleary-eyed today after doing late night duty, watching the Emmys, of course. And that was after watching the football game where the Buffalo Bills from the city where I went to college and creamed the Pittsburgh Steelers in a cold weather game that had been postponed from Sunday because there was so much snow. But seriously, I'm going to throw out the buzzers today. Whatever wants to talk about, what I want to talk about is Iowa. And I didn't think until after I'd gone to bed that I would have the results in Iowa. But 40 minutes after the caucuses began, with only 1% of the actual vote in, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Associated Press, all called the race for Donald Trump. That's how overwhelming his victory was. And that's why I said about 10 days ago, on my Fox show that the media had thrown in the towel. They knew Trump was going to win. Everybody knew Trump was going to win. The question was how big. The former president had tried to tamp down expectations because of the uh, extreme cold and snow in the state of Iowa. And yet he won 51% of the vote. A landslide victory for Donald Trump. The fact of the victory, not surprising at all. Every poll showed him dominating. But the, the breadth of the victory and the uh, message that it sent was unmistakable. Now, despite all the advanced political obituaries written for Ron DeSantis, a guy who worked harder than anybody else in Iowa, visited all 99 counties, and was counted out by a lot of people. He finished second. That second place finish was 21.2%. Nikki Haley finished third, but DeSantis only edged her out by about 2,000 votes, which shows you that in terms of sheer numbers, I was not very important. 40 delegates. And yet, the media make it important because it's the first. And because it really dates back to Jimmy Carter in 1976 when a relative unknown can not only win Iowa but go on to the presidency, even though Iowa has not been a very good predictor of who the nominee would be. New Hampshire, which is next week, does a much better job on that. So 51% for Donald Trump. And today, a lot of the stories about are about, is he unstoppable? Because Nikki Haley, a few points behind, according to the latest polls in New Hampshire, whose electorate is much better suited for her than the heavily evangelical voters, a heavy proportion, I should say, in Iowa. But even if Nikki Haley wins Iowa, I mean, I think that would just 
cause a media tsunami because the media are looking for somebody who they think can possibly take down Trump. You know, great for Governor DeSantis that he finished second, but he has not spent much time in New Hampshire. He spent some. But even, imagine this, even if Nikki Haley wins, let's say she edges out Donald Trump by three points, making this up. After that comes South Carolina, and polls show the former president way ahead of the former South Carolina governor in her home state. And that's, if that happens, that's hard to come back from. Although a victory or a very close second in New Hampshire might continue with the Nikki surge. I don't know. So a lot of the press just had to swallow the fact that in a week, Trump could have wrapped up this nomination. New York Times. Trump's decisive victory in Iowa revealed a new depth to the reservoir of devotion inside his party. For eight years, he has nurtured a relationship with his supporters with little precedent in politics. He validates them, he entertains them, he speaks for them, and he uses them for his political and legal advantage. This connection, a hard-earned bond for some, a cult of personality for others, has unleashed one of the most durable forces in American politics. Iowa Republicans rallied behind the former president despite a list of reasons to reject him. Here it comes. Republicans lost control of the presidency, the Senate, and the House during his four years in office. He failed to deliver the red wave of victories during the midterms. And he's been charged with, oh, 91 felonies in four criminal cases. And they stayed with him even as they were offered viable alternatives. This is the first time we've been able to talk about actual votes, not just polls, pundits, and prognostications. Many Iowa Republicans made clear they don't judge him. They adore him. Newt Gingrich, Trump is not a candidate. He's the leader of a national movement. No one has come to grips with what it's like to take on the champion of a movement. And I think, you know, obviously Newt is biased, but I think that that sums it up. Oh, by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out of the race after a poor fourth place finish in Iowa and, big shock here, endorsing Trump. But it is true that one of the reasons Trump seems all but invulnerable is that he is the leader of a movement. He does have an unshakable hold on his base. Now, some people are spinning it, well, you know, uh, almost half of Iowa Republicans voted against him. Yeah, but they voted for several different people. Here's uh, former New Hampshire Congressman Charlie Bass. A lot of the people who support Donald Trump are really fed up with democracy, representative democracy. They think an authoritarian-style government would probably be preferable at this point in order to save the nation or whatever. Now, the Times goes on to say that Trump has encouraged his supporters to view him as above fault or defeat. 
a mindset that can lead to the kind of political violence that shocked the nation during the Capitol riot. That didn't take long. Elevating charisma over character can open the door to the kind of authoritarianism that Trump has promised on the campaign trail. Now, the Republicans who resisted Trump in Iowa included the party's youngest voters and anti-abortion rights conservatives who backed DeSantis, according to entrance polls. Haley won moderate voters, Republicans who believe Trump lost the 2020 election. Those who support a muscular foreign policy and the segment that prioritized temperament in their choice of a nominee. But MAGA Nation rivals the Queen's Guard when it comes to standing at the ready to defend their sovereign. Now, Nikki Haley, trying to make the most of a third-place finish, said, I can safely say tonight that Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. All right, Dan Bowles, the um, dean of political reporters at the Washington Post. Even an unexpected loss next week, meaning New Hampshire, wouldn't necessarily be enough to stop Trump unless someone, Haley or DeSantis, can quickly assemble a coalition capable of wresting the nomination away from the former president. Neither of them can claim that at this point. Does anyone really expect, says Dan, an upset considering Trump's lead in the polls has been both strong and stable for many months? After a dip in his standing after the 22 midterms, the former president quickly retook command of the party and the nomination contest. Ironically, he was aided by four indictments in four jurisdictions, including two cases involving his efforts to subvert the election, the 20 results of the 2020 election. Trump wore those 91 felony counts as badges of honor, and Republican voters responded by flocking to him. The indictments presage a general election campaign in which courtrooms will compete with campaign rallies to define the personalities of the two likely candidates. New Hampshire offers Haley her best opportunity to embarrass Trump, though he won the state's first-in-the-nation primary eight years ago after losing Iowa. Haley has been gaining ground on him in recent weeks. Okay, let's go to takeaways. How many takeaways can we fit here? Here's five takeaways from Politico. Uh, I'll give you three of them, okay? I'm a generous guy. Trump's victory Monday was so commanding that it's going to be hard for any of his rivals to catch him now. That's pretty uh, definitive. Still, there was a red flag for the general election. More than 30% of caucus goers said he would not be fit for the presidency if convicted. Well, I would turn that around. That means two-thirds, this is based on entrance polls, said he would be fit for the presidency even if he were convicted of a criminal offense. Unlike DeSantis, Haley long benefited from observers not thinking she stood a chance of winning Iowa. It was only quite recently anyone expected her to come in second place there. DeSantis is avoiding for now the immediate pressure to reassess his campaign's viability that would have come with a third-place caucus finish, but he and his team are sounding increasingly frustrated with the continued trajectory of the race and that few are taking him seriously. DeSantis said that Trump 
Running a campaign about putting himself and his issues first, that's what he cares about. You can be the most worthless Republican in America, but if you kiss the ring, he'll say you're wonderful. If DeSantis had started talking like that about the front runner six months ago, three months ago, instead of really just in the last few weeks, I don't think he would have won Iowa going up against the leader of a movement, but I think he might have done a lot better. Expect more of that from DeSantis, says Politico, as he tries to regain traction in the race. Now, National Review, while acknowledging the impressive Trump landslide, says this. The GOP would be ill-advised to throw itself into the arms of Donald Trump again, even as the party seems determined to do it. It's true. Trump leaves Joe Biden in the real clear politics polling average, but only by 1.1 points, given that Biden is in truly feeble shape, this isn't a strong showing. And it comes before Democrats have fully, truly turned their fire on Trump, before all the time and money he'll probably have to spend defending himself at a criminal trial, and before a possible conviction on felony charges. If Trump is the nominee and wins in November, he will govern again in his erratic, heedless, highly personalized style that at best created unnecessary distractions and at worst led to the post-election debate. The party has better alternatives, but if the IRA results are any indication, perhaps not for very long. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So I say again, even though a Trump victory was expected, to have actual votes on the board, 51% of Iowa Republicans voting for the former president, in effect, to become president again. Although it is true that a general election is very different, and all that has to play out, as well as probably at least one of these trials. And it is also true that President Biden's poll numbers have been abysmal. Most Democrats don't want him to run again, going to poll after poll after poll. An 81-year-old versus a 77-year-old. That's their ages now. And in his approval rating in a poll I saw just the other day, I'm virtually certain this is a CBS poll, 33%. You know, Joe Biden may have a good legislative track record and all of that, and um, now he's going to change his style and take off the suit and tie and mingle in small groups where he is very good. He's a, a tactile politician. But I don't know. It's really hard to say, looking at all those numbers both for Trump and for Biden. But a general election is a very different matter. Now, Ron DeSantis made this charge when the three cable news networks and AP projected that Trump had won the Iowa caucuses. It is absolutely outrageous 
said DeSantis Communications Director Andrew Romeo, that the media would participate in election interference by calling the race before tens of thousands of Iowans even had a chance to vote. The media is in the tank for Trump, and this is the most egregious example yet. All right, let me jump here and say, first of all, the media projections were exactly on target with Trump winning 51% of the vote, DeSantis a distant second with just over 21%. Secondly, the media do this with every state race. There's nothing new or unusual here. If somebody's got such an overwhelming lead, you know, they it almost becomes impossible not to call it. And I don't know, the part about the media being in the tank for Trump you see the coverage that Trump gets? Horrible, dictator, Nazi-like. I, I mean, I get the, the frustration of the DeSantis campaign, but if that call hadn't been made, we still would have ended up in roughly the same place. Now, as evidence that the media are not exactly in the tank for Trump, at least the uh, two networks other than Fox, both CNN and MSNBC cut away from his victory remarks. Now, this is not like, you know, I've complained about this in coverage of the trials. Well, you know, Trump goes, went this past week to the civil fraud trial in New York and the January 6th case in D.C., the appeals court hearing his appeal on presidential immunity, tracks a lot of attention because he's there, comes out, speaks for five or ten minutes, and CNN and MSNBC have been cutting away, particularly MSNBC. At least he does sort of tend to say the same things repetitively about uh, the case is a sham, and Judge Engoron is uh, a moron, and uh, Letitia James is a racist, and all that. But this was pure politics. Pure politics. Rachel Maddow cut away pretty quickly, complaining about lies. The reason I'm saying this, of course... There is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision we relish. It is not an easy decision, but there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. And that is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. So she's making it about MSNBC. So the winner, the landslide winner of the Iowa caucuses gives a speech, which actually was a pretty mild speech by Trump standards. He thanked his children. He made a little joke about Ron and Nikki. Um, and MSNBC does this sort of posturing. We can't possibly put this man on the air. Well, what if he wins the nomination? Same thing. We can't possibly put him on the air. What if he wins the presidency back? Is MSNBC going to say we're not carrying his presidential speeches because we don't think he should be in that job and he's a liar? Now, CNN cut away at a point 
where Trump began, uh, shall we say, speaking very pointer, uh, pointedly about immigrants. Jake Tapper, in fairness, when he cut away, he pointed to Trump's record-breaking margin. And the entrance balls, the false belief that Trump supporters that he did not lose in 2020. And here's how it went. Trump. Because right now we have an invasion. We have an invasion of millions of millions of people that are coming into our country. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. Jake Tapper. Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses. If these numbers hold the biggest victory for non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest, a relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is now under my voice. You hear him repeating anti-immigrant rhetoric. I think that's fair. Uh, the word invasion. Okay, millions of people, millions of people are coming in through an open border. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. I mean, that's didn't talk about the poisoning of the blood or any of that. But at least you know Tapper didn't do the posturing of uh, this is all about us and it's an agony decision. He did said he had a reason for breaking away. And made a point of saying again and again this was a tremendous victory by Donald Trump in Iowa. And then, by the way, Joy Reid on the anti-Trump MSNBC panel blamed racism. Everything's about race for her. Against Nikki Haley, because she is a woman of color. Now, can you completely say there's no racism? Not necessarily. That's not why she finished third in Iowa. It just wasn't a good state for her. Now, an earlier Time story pointed out that Republicans have largely avoided over-the-top pandering to local priorities, such as ethanol, because Trump has dominated the state. Um, you know, he talks about Iowa farmers and how he's poured money into the state, but he's not doing the, I'm here to talk about local Iowa issues. And so maybe it's not necessary to do that, or at least if you're a former president, with a huge following. Now here's an interesting tidbit. In yet another blow to Donald Trump's stolen election narrative, Republicans have found 4,000 votes that were miscounted in Trump's favor and to President Biden's detriment. Republicans in Virginia formed an election integrity unit to bolster these claims. And the county announced, one county in Virginia, reporting errors were presumably a consequence of the result tapes not being programmed to a format compatible with state reporting requirements. In other words, these were technical errors. The reporting efforts did not consistently favor one party or candidate due to human it was due to human error. Donald Trump incorrectly received an extra 2,327 votes, and Joe Biden was shorted 1,648 votes. 
of course, Biden won Virginia by more than 450,000 votes, so it wouldn't have affected the outcome anyway. But maybe Biden can now start talking about a stolen election. Uh, Biden campaign said yesterday it's got $117 million on hand. He'd say that's the largest sum for any Democratic candidate in history. Look, an incumbent president can excel in raising money. The uh, Biden-Harris raised more than $97 million in the fourth quarter of 2023. That includes the campaign and joint fundraising with the DNC. Uh, this is disturbing. The White House is the apparent victim of a swatting incident yesterday morning. I mean, this thing is out of control. There has to be an immediate law passed against this, and there has to be a crackdown because, look, obviously with White House Secret Service protection, this wasn't going anywhere, but, you know, it happened to uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's happened mostly to Republicans. It's happened to Jack Smith, the special counsel. Several news outlets reporting that an unknown person called 911 to falsely report a fire at 1600 Pennsylvania. CNN saying another troubling, dangerous swatting incident. This morning, a caller falsely calling, telling 911 the White House was on fire and someone was trapped inside. A significant emergency response with multiple DC fire uh, units dispatched in the 7 a.m. hour before it was term- determined to be a false alarm. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Meanwhile, Lloyd Austin is out of the hospital. Good news for him as he battles prostate cancer. He is not immediately returning to the Pentagon. So the the argument is he's still doing his job. But obviously, whether it's from home or from a hospital, it's harder to be fully engaged as the Pentagon chief if you're not at the Pentagon. Don Lemon's new show on Twitter, according to a podcaster and tech guru, Kara Swisher, it's costing Elon Musk a lot of money. She said, I think they paid Don a pile of money. I know they did. A pile of money. Uh, he and then asked about by her co-host about um, Don Lemon's financial security. She said he has a lot of money. When they fired him, meaning CNN, I think they had to pay out his contract. The Atlantic says that New York Jets injured quarterback Aaron Rodgers is lighting his legacy on fire. That this all goes back to when the NFL fined the Green Bay Packers, where he spent most of his career, $300,000, and Rodgers, $14,000, for violating COVID protocols. And also, I mean, basically, he lied. He misled the country into believing it had a vaccine when he hadn't. Recent years, Rodgers' opinions have become problematic. That's why he's in this battle with Jimmy Kimmel. As if he's secretly auditioning to be the next right-wing media star. He uses some of the same familiar conservative catchphrases, such as woke mob. He spent the last few years criticizing Anthony Fauci. 
If science is Dr. Fauci, you're damn right I'm defying science. Rogers has even theorized on the show. Somehow I missed this. This is on Pat McAfee's ESPN show, and there's a turmoil within ESPN over all this, that a series of UFO sightings surfaced in order to distract the public from other news events. He seems to consider any pushback on his opinions as examples of people trying to cancel him if only he possessed such sharp awareness away from the football field, where he seems to have a knack for creating unnecessary drama and exposing himself as a fake intellectual who can't seem to stop showcasing his rampant narcissism. Uh, Tell us what you really think, Atlantic. He isn't in danger of jeopardizing his inevitable entrance into the Hall of Fame, but the more he digs into these conspiracies and attempts to moonlight as an infectious disease expert, the more his moves will overshadow his brilliant career. By the way, I was stunned yesterday when MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner came to the defense of Fonnie Willis, who, as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, delivered a speech at a black church in Atlanta in which she said, this is because of racism that I'm being attacked, one of the Trump co-defendants saying in legal papers, but without providing any evidence, that she hired as chief prosecutor her boyfriend, who then took her on lavish vacations. She did everything in that speech except address that point, which makes me convinced that it's true or that parts of it are true. And Kirshner came on and he kept saying, well, look, she's appointed three prosecutors, not just the guy who she allegedly had a relationship with, and they were all paid the same hourly rate. So this story is going to melt away. Well, no, it's not. First of all, it's not racism. If Fannie Willis was white and you had the exact same set of circumstances, it would be just as big a story, particularly with her not denying it. And the idea that this will just vanish, I mean, the court is conducting an inquiry, so I just thought that was more of a knee-jerk defense of a prosecutor he's rooting for against Trump rather than a sober assessment. Okay, told you I'd get to the Emmys. You know, it was a bizarre show because they kept doing these skits, most of which were kind of unfunny. But when the Emmy winners came on to give their speeches, what presumably is what people are tuning in for, I mean, they were rushed off the stage in maybe 30 seconds, 20, 30, 40 seconds. They were all rushing. They didn't want to get the hook. Uh, They had a lot of people they wanted to thank. You want to see their demeanor. That's the guts of the show. And they reduced it to, you know, a long soundbite. I thought that was dumb. But Succession, and everybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a big fan, huge night, winning Best Actress in a Dramatic Series, Sarah Snook, Best Actor in a Dramatic Series, Kieran Culkin, 
Best Supporting Actor in a Dramatic Series, Matthew McFadden. So at least two of those people are, it always amazes me, uh, you know, they have this British or Australian accent and they had to learn to speak American uh, for that award-winning show. So uh, is, has there been a time, maybe, I don't know, when one series won for Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor? John Oliver uh, won an award for Best Writing on a New Show. And then, and Jennifer Coolidge won uh, for Best Actress in White Lotus. And then a lot of the other awards went to not just obviously actors and actresses, but uh, producers and so forth, writers, for Beef, which I never heard of, and The Bear which I also never heard of, except my podcast producers informed me that it's terrific and I must watch it. So I'm not dissing those programs, but let's just say neither had the profile of succession. And let me go out on this note from the Daily Mail. A U.S. Air Force fighter pilot training to be a top gun has been crowned Miss America. Her name is Madison Marsh. She's 22. She comes from Fort Smith, Arkansas. And she won the top award in Orlando on Sunday night. Second Lieutenant Marsh was crowned Miss Colorado last year before competing in the finals. The first active duty officer from any branch of the military to represent, at the national level, the Miss America organization. Well, good for her. And the idea that you are a warrior, a fighter pilot, and yet can also be known for your beauty and brains in something as apple pie as the Miss America contest, um... It's just kind of refreshing. Now, that I did not actually see. But um, I think that's a great kicker, don't you? All right, tomorrow I'll be back with even more analysis of Iowa. The way the media are handling Trump, the way the media are handling, handling DeSantis and Haley. And the state of American politics. But now we've got one in the history books and headed for a second one, maybe, in New Hampshire. Thanks for staying with me. See you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.